uh, the 73rd Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely slept, swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. For the word of, Lord, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet and did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of the Lord. Will you stand with me for our gospel reading? From the gospel according to St. Mark, beginning with verse 17 of chapter 10. 
As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up, ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The gospel of the Lord. I want to say that again. Let's, let's say it with all our heart. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I am so excited today that we have a guest speaker with us. And before I tell you a little bit about our guest speaker, uh, I need to tell you a little bit about um, Jacob and Langley who are, are with us because this is how I met our guest speaker today. Um, so many of you know that uh, uh, a few years ago that Jacob, who was singing today, he's on the front second row here, um, was, uh, was part of our church, was connected with our church here. And, uh, and he met a girl from Arkansas, okay? And they moved together to Tulsa. So he moved from Nashville and she moved to Arkansas. Correct me if I'm getting this story wrong at all. Okay, I've got it, the, got it now. Awesome. Um, so they moved to Tulsa, which for us at Sacrament was kind of odd because we actually came from Tulsa, okay? So it was random because, you know, they just moved to Tulsa. So it was interesting. Um, so they, they moved to Tulsa and were there for a while, connected with the church that sent us here, okay? Became worship leaders at the church that sent us here. Sanctuary is what it's called. And, uh, and I had the opportunity to, right before that, to, to perform their, their wedding ceremony. Um, and there I met Langley's parents, Tracy and Carrie. And uh, I got talking with them and just really felt just a, a kindred spirit with them. And I know that um, we haven't spent a whole lot of time together. But as I began to hear their hearts um, for uh, spiritual formation, particularly, and that's something that really kind of drives me is, uh, is our formation as Christians and what that means. And then also when Tracy said that she has written on Celtic Christianity, that was really significant to me. Well, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? Well, that is one particular tradition kind of in the Christian story. And here at Sacrament, one of the phrases that we use is that we are a three streams church. 
okay? So what that means, and if you don't know what these words mean, it's really okay, all right? But what, what that means is that we are a charismatic church. So we believe the Holy Spirit is working and active and moving in the world, sometimes in dramatic ways. That we are an evangelical church, which means that we ought to tell other people about this story, that this story is significant to us and important, and there's an impulse that that goes out. And then also we're a sacramental church, which means that the sacraments are important to us, that we believe somehow God is present with us in these particular and profound ways and heaven and earth overlap. Well, one of the traditions that we look to as a kind of a precedent for that is Celtic Christianity, which comes from the British Isles and was had a significant impulse in uh, a kind of a charismatic devotion or a mystical kind of devotion and also sharing the good news. And then also this story, this historic story that is expressed in the sacraments as well. And so uh, to tell you a little bit about Tracy today, um, she is the director of Christian formation at John Brown University and then is also an author. So she's written several books. Her most recent book is called Thin Places, An Evangelical Journey into Celtic Christianity. And today she's gonna continue our series that we're doing called The Words and the Music, which is just on selected Psalms, looking at Psalm 73 today. We are so delighted that they are with us today. We are so delighted that Tracy is preaching today. Let's give her a warm sacrament welcome as she comes up. Well, good morning, family. Oh, good, I'm on. Uh, so, uh, yes, you're my family because I've got real family here. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Logan, where's Logan? Okay, poor Logan. Like, he's a John Brown University student. He's away um, on fall break trying to get away from JBU, and he comes here, and here we are. <laughs> I'm afraid that we couldn't quite keep you from JBU for long. Uh, I have a few corrections to make, Preston. Thank you for that lovely introduction. One is I just, as a parent, you know, I just want to make sure you all know that when Jake and Langley moved from Nashville to Tulsa, they were living in separate dwellings in Tulsa. So, you know, that's just important Sorry. to know. No, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not a, it's, it's sometimes an assumption. Uh, and also that, oh, tiny, tiny, Thin Place is actually my first book. I wrote that in, in 2006. So I'm just happy that people are still reading it. I've got a f couple others that I've written since. And other, the other corrections that I need to make is that, you know, uh, Preston feels like we don't know each other well, but I beg to differ because we are Facebook friends, so. <laughs> and Instagram friends, so, you know, we're tight. Anyway, it is good, good to be with you. We are here on fall break as well um, as Logan and um, spending time here in Nashville with our kids. We had a fun day yesterday afternoon, farmer's market, went downtown for dinner, walked Broadway, lived to tell about it. Um, it was great. So we've been looking forward to this time with you. And I actually just a week ago was in Sacramento, so I guess that's kind of funny, um, talking about Celtic Christianity with that, with that church body, and so um, it's fun to sort of have that link. Now, Psalm 73. Um, this is a really important psalm to me, so I was really delighted to hear that you're doing a, a series on the psalms. It's been important to me for a few reasons. Um, one is it's one of the first papers that I wrote in college in my um, Old Testament class. I wrote, we were assigned Psalm 73. Carrie and I met in college at Seattle Pacific University. We were taking the same course. We were not yet dating. Um, I got a C on that paper. 
Carrie on his paper got an A with the comment, you should go to seminary. So, you know, I had a ways to catch up. So over the years, I have read this psalm many times, and I feel like I'm getting a better understanding of what it means. It's also um, important to me because I'm a journaler. I keep a journal. I've kept one all of my life since my teenage years. We've got boxes of them at home. And um, that just means that I like to reflect on what's happening in my life. And as I've grown older and hopefully more mature in faith, I, I want to reflect on where I'm hearing the voice of God and where I'm being corrected and where I need to move on from there. And uh, I love how Preston started us out this morning, you know, reflecting on where is it that we have sort of missed God in the past? Where do we need to catch up with him? And reflection, self-examination by the power of the Holy Spirit is a very important uh, spiritual practice to engage in regularly. Well, this psalm, I think, um, is so full of meaning and teaches us how to do that in many ways. In some ways, I think it's kind of a journey psalm. It's a psalm that tells a story where the the writer uh, starts in one place but ends in another place altogether. And we see um, hints of transformation and change through the course of this psalm. So you heard it this morning, but I'm going to kind of refresh your memory now and then. Um, Looking at sort of the transformation that this person, this writer, goes through. Now, at the beginning, I don't know about you, but when I'm honest, I can really relate to this person. I think he is a whiner, okay? This is the sort of petulant young child saying, no fair. Like, I look at everybody else and see how they are succeeding, how they are excelling, and here I am going nowhere. But even worse than that, when I look at everyone else, I see that they're actually have no concern for God. In fact, they're wicked. And here I am, all, I've washed my hands in vain, he says. I've tried to live by God's commands. I've tried to follow him. I've tried to be faithful. And what do I get for it? Nothing. In fact, I find myself suffering. I find myself um, suffering. complaining a lot. I look at the wicked and how they prosper, and it seems like they have no cares, no burdens. Pride is their necklace. That's a very visual image that the psalm gives us. I kind of liken this to those times when we do find ourselves, perhaps on social media. I used to talk about this in terms of like, you know, when you're going through the grocery store line and you look at all those glossy magazines and you see all those people living lovely lives, Nice airbrushed lives, you know. Well, we translate that now into more more current um, uh, experience into like the pictures that we may see on our device, uh, whether it's the news or social media or whatever. It's so easy to compare, to see that perfect life that is presented there and know the whole time that what we see is not what is real. Um, that that same person who seems to have it all together is actually very far from God. And it doesn't make sense. No fair. Because if I'm following God, shouldn't I be the one who is actually reaping certain kinds of blessings? Well, that's a twisted understanding of how the gospel works, isn't it? It is not what Jesus promised us. But we have this inclination to sort of feel sorry for ourselves. Um, 
And then the questions that um, these people form, like, how can God know? Have you all noticed this? I've noticed this trend lately in popular culture and the vernacular of referring to the universe. Um, people used to say, you know, fate. So if you want to talk about some force out there that I don't want to quantify, and I certainly want to define, I don't want to have, um, I don't want to be so arrogant as to say who or what that is, but there's something out there that sort of makes things happen and affects my life. And now uh, popular culture refers to that as the universe. I've heard this um, very casually and I'm starting to hear it more. I'm like, really, is, the, are, is that the best we can do? Of course not, as believers, we know that it is so much more than that. So, so these, these people that we're so often jealous of, how can the universe know? How can, like, I, I can't even get my hands on that. Like, this, this unbelief. This is what the wicked are like, verse 12 says. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. It is easy for us, even in our Western modern lives, where we really, most of us in this room, have more than what we need to still feel sorry for ourselves when things don't go right, when things don't go as we think they should and to fall prey to that very real temptation to compare. And it doesn't even have to be comparison of uh, material wealth or worldly success. It can be all kinds of things. Skills, appearance, um, what our family structure looks like. You know, why does that family seem to be so healthy and ours is so dysfunctional? There's all kinds of brokenness in the world and we all uh, are subject to it. Rain falling on the just and on the unjust. Um, but as Christians, this is a correction. Like, why is it that we can so easily feel sorry for ourselves? And he says that I've been plagued with this all day. So, the key verse here, as we get to this real critical moment, is when he really starts to self-examine and reflect. In verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. It was oppressive to me because there is no sense in it at all. And then we see a major pivot he has been going along in one direction, whining, complaining, puzzled, oppressed, depressed. And I tried to understand. It was so frustrating to me. And then I entered the sanctuary of God. If you look at this whole chapter, it is moving in a particular direction. And this is the peak moment. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. That's a pretty powerful statement. If I enter the sanctuary, perhaps things will look different. So I'm curious. Now, there's enough of us here to sort of feel like a classroom. I teach courses at, at a university, and we like to have conversations. I would love for you, any of you, just... Throw out some words. What do you think of when I say the word 
sanctuary. Any words at all. You could say, a church in Tulsa. <laughs> so I took that one. But what else do you think of when we say sanctuary? Quiet. Safety. Why do you think of safety? Do you want to add that, David? Yes, sanctuary, right? The hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, like, but, but the sanctuary, the literal cathedral, was a safe place for refugees, right? For people who needed to be protected. So yes, safety in a very real way. Okay, what else do you think of? Sacred. Sacred. Okay, there's something special about the sanctuary that, that points us to God. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Okay. Haven. Haven? Yes. Yes, like a home. A sanctuary is a home, a spiritual home. Anything else? These are all really good. Togetherness. That's where we gather. It's where the people of God are, right? These are all good. And a reminder to us that this concept of sanctuary, of course, does refer to a physical building. And that physical building is built to remind us of a larger understanding. We know that God is not contained and does not live in a building made by human hands. But that sanctuary is built to remind us of all the things that you just said. Holiness, right? Uh, perhaps transcendent. Um, when you walk into, if you've had the chance to visit something like a European cathedral or a, a reasonable facsimile here in our young country, um, you walk in and your attention is drawn upward. And have you, if you've been able to attend, I mean, to walk into like the actual Notre Dame, it's so fascinating to me. Uh, we were, uh, Jake and Langley were with us this summer in Scotland and in Edinburgh, there's St. Giles Cathedral, and it's, it never fails. You walk in, this is a tourist destination as well as a place of worship. And it doesn't matter who walks in, the immediate effect is quiet. People have a sense of awe. When you walk in a sanctuary, you are aware of something that you were not previously aware of. And so here, the writer of this psalm says, I was a mess before this. I was, I was confused until I entered the sanctuary, and then I began to understand. Another way to think about this concept of uh, sanctuary is, as, as Preston told you, I have a great fascination with the early Celtic Christians in the British Isles, and they um, lived out this concept of thin places, the title of my book. And a thin place in that tradition is any place, any physical location, where for whatever reason, the dividing line between earth and heaven seems tissue paper thin. The dividing line between earth and heaven seems tissue paper thin. Of course, it is important to acknowledge that God is not more present one place than another. He's actually not more present here than he is right out there by that U-Haul van. But the difference is we are more present to him. This place has been very carefully created to draw our attention upward, right? 
It's a little bit harder to think about God and to recognize God when you're out there filling up the U-Haul, but he is indeed there. You just might not, might not feel like it's a thin place. It doesn't necessarily help you be aware of him. So the sanctuary is a thin place, and um, historically one of the thinnest of places is the island of Iona, and that's where I take pilgrims every summer to really dive deeply into this Celtic history, to appreciate God in his natural creation, and to worship together in the tradition of the early Celtic Christians. Um, I was there, yes, this, this summer. I've been there many times, but I was there this summer leading our pilgrimage group. Last year, right at this time, I got to go to Iona just on my own, which was a real gift. I got to go and be part of a retreat group rather than lead it, and that was a gift to me. In October, so the weather's a little bit wilder, it's colder, you just drink a whole lot more hot tea. And, um, and the whole point uh, of one of the, one of the really um, wonderful things about Iona is that there's just so much space. Beautiful, uncluttered, unhurried space. And so one day, I, we had some time in the afternoon, which was wonderful, and I decided I need to seek the sanctuary. I need to go to the sanctuary. And I walked out of our little, our, our old charming hotel and headed out uh, north on the path that led me past one of the ancient Celtic crosses that stands there, McLean's cross, on up the path past the organic gardens that were, were pretty much turned under now to get ready for the next season, um, on up the path, and I began to smell the lovely herbs and garlic and vegetables that were cooking at the, hotel, the other hotel on the island kept going, and then to my right stood the grand Iona Abbey in its sto a great stony ancient presence there, a sanctuary. But I didn't go in. I continued on. I wanted to get to the north, to the white strand of the monks. And this is just a beautiful beach. Like, so you have to walk through, you know, sheep fields, say hi to the cows, say hi to the sheep, walking, 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 and um, you're just alone. There are very few people on the island. The wind is brisk. The, the day was bright, and um, the sea is to my right, fields to my, to, in front of me. And I made my way up there through the old gate and down on this white, pristine beach, white, bright sand, and gray, ragged clouds kind of hanging over the sea the island of Mull just in front of me. Rocks, moss, and peace. No one else, just me. It's called the White Strand of the Monks because in the seventh century, it was one of the places where Viking marauders came and wiped out the monastery. And so I imagined myself as I stood there looking out to see what would it be like if I were there a monk who had made this my home with my brothers, worshiping, working, welcoming people. And I see a Viking longboat coming my way. Not a good image. And it wasn't for the monks that day. Twelve were martyred on that beach. Well, that was something to ponder. And I stood there by myself thinking about that. And I heard the voice of God say to me, again, not audibly, but deeply in my spirit because I was in a thin place. And I heard the Spirit of God say, be braver. Be braver. I do tend to be a fearful person. I do tend to be anxious. I tend to worry about, I don't, I don't take risks. I don't want to do anything unless I know I can be a success at it because I don't want to look foolish. 
And I also am afraid of things that sort of grow in my mind, even though Jesus tells me, why worry about that? Tomorrow has enough worries about itself. You know, like, I'll take care of you. God takes care of the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. I still worry. I am so fearful. And I hear God say to me that day, be braver. That was a year ago, and I keep remembering it. I keep remembering that. Every time I encounter something that pushes me a little bit or that challenges me or that makes me afraid, I hear God say, be braver, because you know what? You are not a monk facing Vikings right now, <laughs> right? There's a little bit of humility that is to come with from this. I'm facing plenty of real challenges. It's not to minimize the challenges in my life. But get a grip, girl. God is for me. Be braver. Something transformative happens when we enter the sanctuary. So I want to just give you quickly three things that I think happens. And we see this. He says, when I tried to understand this, um, it was oppressive till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then in verse 18, he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How, how suddenly uh, they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. What we get in the sanctuary is understanding. Understanding of what is permanent and what is temporary. Things are very temporal in this life. And that is why we have to be aware of who God is and who he has called us to be. And not live a life that is so carefree and so indulgent and putting so much emphasis on what is only temporary. So in the sanctuary, we get understanding. We also, in the sanctuary, um, receive a, a recollection of truth. We are reacquainted with what is true, what is true about God and what is true about us. And we learn, God says, I am always with you. Here in the passage, it says, you hold me, you guide me, and afterward, you will take me with you. That's verse 23 and 24. You will guide me with your counsel. Um, and and the, answering the question, who is God and who am, who am I, is fundamental to our Christian life. And we can very easily wander away from that truth. So we enter into the sanctuary, whether it's a literal sanctuary or a place that is just removed from all the craziness of life so we can hear again the truth. So we get understanding what's permanent and what's temporary, the recollection of truth about who God is and who we are, and then finally, we get perspective. And that was the title of today's message. We learn what has true value. And these are verses, I have read this psalm hundreds of times, I am sure. And even this morning as I heard it again, I, my eyes fill with tears because this, to me, is the crux of our Christian life. This is the bottom line. In verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Be braver. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. There's that safety. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Even if there is a Viking boat coming, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. My heart and my flesh will actually fail. Even then, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. In this psalm, we begin with someone who is a whiner, and we end with someone who is transformed. But, you know, we could begin this psalm as, and make it our own, as someone who's anxious or fearful. And that anxious and fearful person enters the sanctuary and comes out as someone transformed, being transformed. Maybe you're an angry person, and you let that anger color your world. Or maybe you are constantly comparing yourself and not measuring up. Or, you know, just pick an issue, whatever your thing is that, is, that is a nagging, that is oppressive to you that you cannot understand. And it will look differently when you enter the sanctuary. You will receive understanding, not necessarily all the, under, all the answers, but a better understanding. You will hear the truth about who God is and who you are. And you will gain a right perspective and grow in the conviction that no matter what is going on, craziness in the country, destruction because of awful storms, pain and illness and loss, all the things that Jesus said we shouldn't be surprised about, you will come away knowing that God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. So wherever the sanctuary is for you, a remote beach, a mountaintop, a majestic cathedral perhaps, but perhaps it's just a closet as Jesus rightly suggested. Um, a thin place, a sanctuary can be anywhere. A front porch, a designated corner in your home, a coffee shop. And I certainly hope that as you gather as the saints of God and worship in this place, that this is a sanctuary, a thin place for you. It doesn't matter where it is because God is there. It matters that you are there and are able to pay attention to the presence of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Would you pray with me? Holy Lord, we know that you are not one who stands far off, but we confess that we are the ones who step away from you. In the midst of our muchness and manyness, you are near, knowing that if we would just stop and listen, we would hear your voice. You would bring understanding to the confusion we have, and you would lead us more deeply into life with you, both now and in eternity. Would you please increase our longing for you and increase our dissatisfaction with the things of the world? You are our refuge, inviting us higher up and deeper into your dwelling where there is peace beyond all understanding. I pray for this body of saints, for Preston as he leads them, and for myself, that we would all readily respond to this invitation. For where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. In the name of Jesus, we pray, our ever-living Savior, teacher, and friend. Amen.